Movement Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at theocmovement.com. We hope you enjoy this message from the movement. We're in part four of our series called Shades of Grey, and this series is all about unpacking biblical truths for our lives, especially in the areas that we might consider to be the gray areas. There's a lot of things that we'll agree on. Most of us, hopefully, 99% of us and maybe 100% would agree that murder is wrong. We're not going to do that. But there's some other smaller things that may be more non-essential, that may not be as concrete, that we need to discover what is God's purpose and plan for our life. And uh, we're just really going to stick to what the Scripture says about that. It's been a lot of fun so far, and I'm excited to talk about a fun topic today. But before I do that, I just want to take a minute and tell you, man... Uh, there's a lot of things going on in our nation right now, right? There's a lot of things going on. I mean, from what happened in South Carolina just a few weeks ago, really kind of uh, another glimpse into the fact that racism is still a problem in our nation, right? And, and listen, not only that, but what has happened here in the last week with the Supreme Court ruling. And so I want to tell you, I, I, we want to take a minute and just kind of tell you where our stance is on some of these things, because I feel like it's important for you to know. And I want to tell you one of the things that is important right now for the church and for Christ followers is that we are not known for what we stand against in this season, but that we are known for what we stand for, and that is the gospel and the grace of who Jesus is. Can I get an amen for that? Awesome. That was a horrible clap. Apparently, you guys don't love Jesus. And some people right now are freaking out, saying these are dark times in our nation. But I want to tell you, as a church, this is our greatest hour. Because we are a vehicle bringing the hope of who Jesus is. And next week, this is so cool how this series worked out. Next week, I'm literally going to be talking about God's practical plans and his outline and standards for sexuality in our life. So next week, I'm going to address some of the very things that are a hot topic and a hot button throughout the nation. Now, I'm going to do this in a PG-13 mode. So if you have kids that are under 13, we're going to allow you next week to let those young guys hang out in Movement Kids Big. And uh, I'm just going to unpack what we believe the Scripture says is the standard for you and for me. But I want you to know, above everything else, that we are never going to be about what we stand against as a church. We're always going to be about what we stand for. And we will always be a place where we're going to cultivate an environment where grace May abound. Can I get an amen? How many of you in here are just a little bit jacked up? Would you raise your hand, please? Okay, look at somebody that doesn't have their hand raised and just judge them right now. That would be good. Listen, all of us are just a little bit jacked up and we're just working on getting better. So I'm excited. Do not miss next week. It'll be the final part of our series called Shades of Gray. We actually are going to be showing clips from the movie. I'm kidding. Every week, every week, I'm going to keep it rolling. Tonight, or today rather, the title of my sermon is, How Much Wood Could a Woodchuck Chuck If a Woodchuck Could Chuck Wood? That's not the full, it's just how much wood could a woodchuck chuck. And it really may have no significance whatsoever. But we're going to talk today on the biblical standards for drinking. And I'm really excited because in all my years in church, 35 years almost of being in church, I've never been in an environment where they talk about what the biblical standards are for drinking. And in this topic, it's very similar to, uh, to the Democratic versus the Republican stances in our nation. Right now, this room is divided. You don't even realize it. 
Some of you are going to be really frustrated at the first half of my, my message. And many of you are going to be really frustrated at the second half. So I promise by the end of this sermon, you'll all hate me. It's going to be so good. But I believe, and I'm going to tell you right now, at the Movement Church, we will never waver from teaching and proclaiming the truth of God's word. We will never shy away from the topics that are challenging and difficult. As long as the word of God has a standard for it, we are going to teach it and preach it. So don't get mad at me. Just get mad at God. He wrote the Bible. I'm just going to spit the truth. Somebody say spit the truth. Awesome. Let's pray and we'll dive into this. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're doing something awesome in our life. And Father, I just pray that today you'd open our hearts to hear and our, our, our minds and our, our ears to be open to what it is that you're saying to us today. Lord, we thank you that no matter what we face, your word has a standard that's applicable for us today. So we look to you now in this season and we give you honor and glory. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. I want to read a passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And it's from the message version. And it reads like this. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse. I held nothing back. I sucked the marrow out of pleasure, out of every task. My reward to myself for a hard day's work. And then I took a good look at everything I'd done. Looked at all the sweat and the hard work. But when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it. Nothing. This is a story or a passage of scripture from one of the wisest or the wisest man on the planet. His name was Solomon. And he's saying, listen, I did whatever it was I wanted to do. I did not say no to my desires. And I found that it led to nothing but smoke and mirrors, to an unfulfilled life. Today, I want to unpack some biblical perspective. And today is not going to be as entertaining as normal. I'll try to dance and sing some songs to make this fun. But I want to just bring the simple truth. Of just You know part of the reason you've come to church because I'm going to sing and dance. You know that's true. Thank you. Oh, thank you. My dance skills are that good. And so I just want to bring some of the practical truths on what the Word of God says. And I want to compare and contrast that to what the church's standard has been over the course of the last few decades and even centuries. Is that cool? Can we do that? Well, listen, up until now, the church has really had three positions on how drinking should be applied to our life. And they are these three. Number one is prohibition. Number two is abstention or to abstain. And number three is moderation. These are the three positions that the church and people in the church have held over the last few decades. And every single one of you in this room fits into one of these three categories. And we're going to unpack what the scripture has to say about all three. Prohibition would simply be the thought or the idea that alcohol is evil and drinking is a sin. That the enemy, that the devil has reserved the hottest place of hell for you if you drink. Okay? Man, some of y'all are, this is going to be a good sermon today. I grew up in a home where this was the perspective on drinking. My dad is in heaven now, so hopefully he's not listening through the airwaves. Number two, abstention, to abstain. And that's the idea that alcohol is not evil and drinking is not sinful, but all Christians should nonetheless refrain out of love for our brother. 
So this is the idea that it's not evil and it's not sinful, but because people have stumbled for so many years and, and the idea, the topic of alcohol has caused so many problems that as Christians, it is our prerogative to set a standard by abstaining, by not drinking. This is one of the positions, okay? As you can hear, we're already getting fired up. It's so good. The third position is moderation. Moderation. And this is the stance that drinking is not sinful, but conscience and circumstances should dictate an individual's freedom to partake. These are the three widely held positions on what drinking is for you and for me. So what we're going to do is take a few... Are y'all excited about this yet? You're already determining which restaurant you're going to after church. So let's talk about what the scripture says. We're going to take a few minutes and explore both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I need to get a countdown timer because I don't even know where I'm at or I'm going to be in trouble today. Old Testament and New Testament exploration scripture. Now for just a minute, for those of you who may be new to the church or our church, the Bible is broken into two halves. The Old Testament was written before Jesus, and the New Testament was written after Jesus. And what is amazing is that God, in His perfectness, has this amazing way of blending the two together in, a, in beautiful perfection, in a symphony that brings completion to you and to me. So let's just talk about what the Scripture says. In the Old Testament, wine was actually considered to be a gift of God. And indicative of his blessing. This is found Psalm 104. Man, it's going to get fired up. Everybody's like, amen. And some of you are like, don't say that. Psalm 104.15 says this. And wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. And bread to strengthen the man's heart. Listen to Deuteronomy 14.26. It says this. And spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen or sheep. I know that's on your Amazon bucket list right now. I wonder if those can be sent via Prime. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. So now it's not even just wine. We're talking about strong drink. Whatever your appetite craves and you shall eat therefore before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. Some of you are so stoked right now and you need to settle your alcoholic self down. The next verse, the next verse, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. If you are visiting for the first time, you're welcome. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, listen, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits, all of your produce. This is a scripture about returning the tithe and offering to what God is doing through his church. And listen to what he says is a blessing. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. I think only one of you in this room has a barn right now. And your vats, come on, everybody say vats, will be bursting with what? Wine. This is Old Testament. Listen to this, Old Testament. In the New Testament, in John 2, verse 11, Jesus steps onto the scene. He's 30 years old, and he's making his political statement, his run for candidacy for the Savior of mankind, right? He... Thanks, Rob. You're my friend. And he's about to perform his first miracle, right? So this is the Messiah, the man. He's the answer, the solution, God's radical solution for mankind. He's going to speak words that no one has ever heard spoken before. And he literally will change the face of history. And his first miracle is not to raise someone from the dead. It's not to heal the blind eye. It's not to help make the lame man walk. 
His first miracle, he's at a wedding feast, and they run out of wine, and his mom comes and says, Listen, boo, I need your help. They've ran out of wine, and we, we, we're in trouble. And Jesus is like, let's, let's make this thing happen. She says, she turns to the servant and says, whatever he says to do, do it. He says, grab all these pitchers, fill them up with water, and he prays, and the water turns into grape juice. Nope, not at all, actually. The, the actual Greek word for this word, wine, literally is the same word that in a few moments you'll hear me talk about not being drunk on. So it wasn't unfermented grape juice, for those of you that are curious. But his first miracle was turning water into wine. His first miracle, turning water into into wine. Just a few, a few, uh, almost a little bit, almost a year later in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunk because he would eat and drink with people. Not unfermented grape juice, not Welch's, he would drink wine. So we got Old Testament and we got New Testament here. Now we know that he never got drunk because in a moment I'm going to explain what the scripture says about getting drunk. That's when the other half of you is going to get really, really mad at me. All right, so let's move. Y'all stoked about this yet? Old Testament and New Testament. Now, what we is clearly defined here, and what we know is that no matter how hard you dig, no matter how much research you put into this, no matter what theologian you talk to, there is no biblical ground to support prohibition. None. There's nothing through the scriptures that says that alcohol is evil and a sin, and you cannot drink, or you're going to the hottest part of hell. So let's take a few moments and let's talk about moderation. Versus abstaining or abstention. I think I'm saying that correctly. Throughout the scripture, we never read a single command which universally prohibits drinking. Now, there are certain passages of scripture which prohibit certain groups of people for certain amounts of time from drinking. For instance, if you take a Nazarite vow, you shave your head, you trim your beard, and you never cut either again, and you make a vow, I am not going to drink wine or alcohol from this point forward. But that is for people who specifically take a Nazarite vow because they are also have to abstain from eating dried grapes. So this doesn't apply to every Christian, okay? There are portions of time where pastors and kings are required to abstain from drinking, but for a certain period of time in relation to worshiping God and entering the temple. So there's no grounds at all for prohibition. And it's clear that the Bible talks about this. The problem is I think too many churches don't. And I can tell why, because I feel so awkward right now. On the contrary, what we're going to talk about today is the fact that the Bible reveals a theology in which each individual is subject subject to a renewed spiritual conscience responsible to God for his actions. This is a biblical approach. Now, Now remember, there are some things that are in the scripture that there's no wavering. We call those essential truths. Thou shalt not kill. There's no wavering. It's not, thou shalt not kill unless you're really ticked off. Okay? But in the New Testament, we begin to explore this amazing person called the Holy Spirit. Who is here to guide and instruct on how our convictions should be based. So let's talk about this and what this means. Let me kind of give you an example of what I mean by that. There's a lot of things called non-essential truths, and these are areas where you or I might have differing convictions. Let me give you a very clear, specific uh, uh, illustration. Growing up, I grew up in a very strict home that was very, what we would call, legalistic. I'm going to talk about that in our next series called Shades of Grace, which is going to blow your face up. Don't miss it. 
very legalistic. I was not allowed to listen to rock and roll music because it was of the devil. Let me kick it up a notch for you. In 1996, a Christian band called DC Talk, come on somebody, came out with an album called Jesus Freak. How many Jesus Freak fans in here? It's okay, don't be ashamed. Man, man, in this album, I want to sing so many songs right now. There was a man with his tat on his big fat belly and it wiggled around like a bowl full of jelly. That's enough, okay. And uh, and this was a Christian rock album, and my father did not like the beats and the hardcore music that was in it, so he took away my DC Talk Christian rock and roll CD. Are y'all tracking? How many of you have an experience like this? Can you raise your hand? I can see three hands. Awesome, man. I feel like we are party to the people. Okay, listen. That was my dad's conviction on how he was going to raise his kids. That does not mean that if you listen to Jesus, freak, you're going to hell. Or it's a sin. It is a conviction based upon a standard of the word of God. Let me give you another illustration. Nowhere in the scripture do we see a clear cut line on how we should or should not date another individual. Some of you are just saying, I just want a date. Please, if I could just get me a date. For my parents, I wasn't allowed to. We had to court Yes, you don't even know what that is. You're welcome. I, my wife and I, we were courting for three and a half years. We went on a total of seven dates where we were alone. One of them was to see the Mask of Zorro. My dad knew when the start and finish time was, and it was right across the street from my house. Are y'all tracking? That was a conviction. Crazy. It was a conviction. I'm kidding. I'm grateful for my heritage. I got no complaints. That was a conviction my dad held. But that doesn't mean that if you didn't, you allowed your kids or you were allowed to date that you weren't as holy of a Christian. Are you guys tracking with me? So this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this. Listen, let's unpack kind of this whole idea of, of being, uh, of following Christ with a, a renewed spiritual conscience. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 29. And this is the ESV. It says this. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why, I, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whether you do, or whatever you do, what does it say? Do all for the glory of God. We are not to be governed by someone else's consciences. Now remember, those of you that are mad at me right now, just hang with me. Hang with me. We're going to paint a full picture here, okay? Those of you that are like already planning your pizza port trip after church, just settle down for a minute. And you're like, that's why he likes pizza port. I get it now. <laughs> We're not governed by the conscience of others, but we are bound instead by the will of our Savior. Let me just tell you this. This It's going to be on the screens. To deny another believer's ability to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit is the essence of legalism and a denial of the very freedom for which he was saved. That's worth writing down. And that applies to every area of our life. We don't have the ability to come in and determine someone else's convictions. We don't. We don't. And we don't have the ability to come in and try to superimpose or to tell someone how they should or should not be living, especially in these 
areas. So let me just kind of just say this real quickly. It's important that you and I know that alcohol is not inherently evil in and of itself. Now, that being said, I think it's safe for all of us to recognize, and I think many of us could see, that in excess, it leads to regretful, destructive, and damaging decisions. I mean, if I was to sit down with each of you and talk through the times where you have been in an environment where you were given to excess in the area of alcohol, you might have a few stories that sound like the truth is, I don't even remember That's not a healthy place to be. You might have a story that sounds like, yeah, it was just this thing and I I didn't even want to. And now this is the consequence that I am living with as a result. There's no doubt. It's not inherently evil, but we have to recognize that in excess, it leads to regretful, evil, and destructive consequences. But that doesn't mean it's bad. And just because... People have made poor choices or been given to excess with alcohol does not give us biblical grounds to say everyone should abstain. The same is true when it comes to sexuality. Just because people make poor sexual decisions, I guarantee you are not an advocate for marital celibacy. Well, sexuality is a crazy thing. Maybe we should just all abstain. Get yourself out of here because I ain't a part of that business. I love my wife at least every 72 hours awesomely. Yes, we have a healthy marriage. You know what the leading cause of death in our nation is right now? Related to eating habits. And yet because gluttony and the sin of gluttony is an issue, you haven't said, hey, let's starve ourselves, people. We're going to stop eating altogether because all my friends are diabetic and they've got problems with their heart, etc. Are y'all tracking with me? Man, you ready? We're about to turn the table. It'll be so good. So good. Hey, we have to recognize the limits which God has placed upon his gifts and enjoy them as such boundaries. And it's a gift, right? It's a gift. You got to know that. Somebody's alarm's going off. I still have 12 minutes. It's good. <laughs> There's a lot of uses for this. I'm going to, uh, some of the, the things that, that alcohol was created by God and can be enjoyed within limits for elements of worship. It's used for communion in a lot of churches across America right now. And in the beginning, the very first communion was wine. It can be used for celebration, for Thanksgiving, for partying. I know it's crazy. It's a biblical usage. All of these are appropriate and God-honoring. It's a God-honoring response to believers. Now, remember, within limits. Don't just, don't just throw that little phrase away and say, well, my pastor said I can go party. That's not what I said at all. That's not what I said at all. In fact, there's scientific and biblical research now that shows that moderate consumption actually has medicinal value to it. That's found, for those of you who want to know, 1 Timothy 5.23, and do the research, just Google it. There's medicinal value to this stuff, right? So all that to say... Some of you sitting here today, after hearing what the scripture says, you may feel that you are too susceptible to excess. You, you may say, man, you know, I just, I don't know if I can actually cut things off when I need to cut things off. And, and I don't know if I can drink moderately and be responsible. And so you might be led to abstain. And guess what? That's a biblical and God honoring response. And some of you in here might say, you know what? I can control myself 
But I just really feel that part of the thing that God has placed in my heart is to abstain just to show you can still have fun and have a great time without drinking. And that's a biblical and godly response. This is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And guess what? Some of you in this room might feel that moderation is an acceptable conviction and will therefore drink in such a manner. And that is a biblical and godly response. Those are both, all three, biblical responses to alcohol and its consumption in our life. And look at me really quickly in the eyes of everybody. Neither of these is more holy than the other. Neither is. The moment we begin to feel like, well, my position is the correct position, that is called pride, my friends. And Jesus can work through people that have sin in their life, but he never can work through pride. Because pride says, I know better. Y'all tracking? Awesome. Awesome. And the truth, this must be stated as well, that all of those positions are the very essence of being led by the Spirit. It's the very essence of being led by the Spirit. But we have to remember, when we begin to impose our personal convictions on others, it becomes an ungodly response. When, listen, when we begin to impose our personal convictions on these non-essential areas, it literally becomes an ungodly response. That's exactly what Paul was writing to. Are you all tracking? Those are the positions that the Bible supports, both to abstain and to drink moderately, all within limits. So before we close this shindig out, this amazing sermon, and we all go grab some great food, I want to tell you a couple things, a couple absolutes that need to be stated. Now get ready. Some of you are not going to be happy, and that's okay. These are absolutes that are based on scriptures, and this needs to be stated in relation to drinking. Number one, getting drunk is a sin. It's a sin. And alcohol is addictive. This is clear. Getting drunk is a sin. It's a sin. I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures that talk about this. Proverbs 21 says this, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So what is he saying? The man, when this thing gets out of context and gets crazy and we take the limits off, I become foolish. Anybody got any story? Don't put your hands up. I, I guarantee you, everybody in this room, if not about you, about somebody that you're close to. Foolishness. Foolishness. Ephesians 5.8 says this, and do not get drunk with wine. Can we just pause right there? If you're not sure if this is a sin, post this on Instagram. Here we go. (laughs) I can't wait to come to your church. Never mind. Never mind. And do not get drunk with wine. Well, what about beer and... Okay. Okay. What does it say? For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Listen to this, Romans 13, 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. In other words, right, all the the crazy stuff tends to happen at night. But during the daytime, we tend to be a little more controlled. You you guys get that. I don't need the Greek and Hebrew. You understand. 
not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling, not in jealousy. Guys, this is the standard. Getting drunk is a sin. And let me just tell you, if you choose to drink in moderation, then you need to do so with the knowledge that you are responsible for your actions in this area and accidental overindulgences is still a sin. We just, it, was just a, it was a double IPA. And we had, I didn't realize I hadn't eaten. And I just had too much that day. And man, I was, we were out in the sun, hadn't had enough water. And woo! You're responsible. So moderation doesn't mean push the limit. That doesn't define the word moderation. The other half of the room is now a little frustrated with me. You trying to say... That I can't party? No, I'm not saying that at all. Have all the fun you want in the world, but there are limits. You tracking? You get that, right? You get it. You do. Well, I only had an affair with one woman. Just one. Megan said, oh, stop. Right? It just doesn't work out, does it? There's a standard there. I don't set it. The Bible does. Listen to this. Another thing that needs to be noted. All Christians are subject to the laws of the land, which means underage drinking. <laughs> Driving while under the influence. <laughs> the federal level now is .05. That's like a sip. Right? You tracking? Okay, cool. <laughs> so angry. Another thing. We cannot impose a stricter standard than the scripture commands on another person. You can't do that. You cannot say, because this is my conviction, now it has to be your conviction. Now, if they live in your household, and you have a roof over their home, then yeah, absolutely. But you cannot impose a stricter standard than what the the word commands. Another one is this. If we're convicted by the act of drinking, we must not impose our convictions on someone else. And that goes the other way, too. Just because you think in moderation, you can't try to impose that on somebody else. That's called legalism, or placing traditions or interpretation over the Scripture. Listen to this, Romans 14. This is a powerful Scripture. Romans 14, verses 3 through 4 says this, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. This was an issue back in the day in the early church. What you would eat and what you would drink. For God has accepted them. Verse 4 says this, Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master? Servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Verse 10 says this. Check this out. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So, hey, here comes a new standard that the scripture just introduced. It's not just, do I want to drink? I can drink because moderation is acceptable and actually honoring to the Lord. But now the scripture says, hey, Christian, you're called to lead. There's a new standard that's here. Listen to this, another thing you, you and I must know before we move on from this service. If you find yourself in a position where your justifiable freedom would cause someone else to stumble, you must refrain. 
The scripture says that if our drinking or eating or coming and going causes someone else to stumble, then we are held accountable. Which means if you have a friend who's eight months sober and you're drinking in front of them, you're a knucklehead, stop it. Which means if you are trying to live a life that sets a standard of godly convictions, but you're hanging out with people who are going crazy and getting smashed, and you're not light in the darkness, hey, it may be time to consider setting your freedom aside to lead like God has called us to lead. Are you tracking with me? You see, there's never a time in our life where God says, okay, I love you, my grace abounds, now live and do what you want to do. Never. It's never like that. We don't ever get to say, I want to do and live what I want to do and say I'm a Christ follower. Because the very act of following Christ is to surrender my life, my convictions, my desires, my dreams, my ambitions and say, Jesus, I am following you. Which means if I have freedoms in the area of drinking, then great, but be careful and watch out. Don't be given to excess. It will lead to foolishness and debauchery. Be careful and mindful of who you are around when you're drinking so that you maintain the standard of leadership. Are you tracking with me? Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So I will not set my convictions above what God wants to do in my life. Romans says this, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one from who Christ died. Romans 14, 21 in the message version says this, I said it before and I'll say it again, all food is good. But it can turn bad if you use it badly. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly. If you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to the others who are eating. Don't eat or say or do things, I love this, that might interfere with the free exchange of love. So you understand and you know according to the Old and the New Testament what the Scripture says is acceptable behavior for a Christ follower. You can abstain if that is your conviction and you can partake in moderation if that is your conviction. There are some things you need to know. Getting drunk is a sin. And not only that, we have a responsibility. Hey, Christian, you are called to lead. So we have a responsibility to be careful in the environments in which we are in. But that doesn't mean you can't drink. But it doesn't mean you should all the time. What's it saying? Just be led by the Holy Spirit. Let him guide your steps. And don't presume to impose your convictions on somebody else or vice versa. So all that being said, some of you in this room are still going, okay, but how much can I drink? Tipsy? Is tipsy drunk? Is buzz tipsy? I don't even know. I don't know what these words mean, to be honest with you. I think if you're still asking that question, you may be in the wrong place. It's kind of like 
The old tongue twister. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Nobody cares how much wood he can chuck. It's just something you say when you're seven to laugh at your friends for sounding foolish. You're missing the point. So if you sit here today and you're trying to figure out how much can I consume? How much can I partake? I might propose that you might be asking the wrong question. And maybe something for you in the future is to say, God, what do you want to see active in my life? But for those of you who just desperately want to know what we hold as a standard, I tell you, Christian, you are called to lead. You are called to lead. And what would happen if the coworker that you've been working diligently with to build a relationship with and to invest into their life and to hopefully bring the hope of who Jesus is and you've been sharing your story with the hope that maybe they'll experience the purpose and the fullness and the grace that God brings. And, and one night you're at home with your family and you're enjoying a great meal and a great drink and you get a phone call from this guy. Dude, my son's at the hospital. We were in a bad accident. Can you come and pray? I don't know this whole prayer thing, but can you come up here? Could you jump in a car and go up there and actually pray a faith-filled prayer? Not like, oh, man, Jesus. Could you actually be there and pray a faith-filled prayer? We had a young lady in our church stepping into leadership and just sat down to a nice meal. Had a drink poured. But just choosing to give to living in in moderation literally gets a phone call 30 minutes in. Hey, me and my kids, we had to get in the car and run. My, My husband started beating me. I don't have shoes on. I don't have a wallet. I barely got the keys. My kids are crying in the back seat. We're, we don't know. Where do we go? This young woman said, Hey, I'm gonna meet me at this hotel. I'm going to pay to put you up right now. Don't worry. This isn't the end. God's redemptive plan is at work. Christian, you're called to lead. Could you do that at any time? Hey, those things are called emergencies and nobody plans emergencies. That's why they're called an emergency. Because you don't know they're coming. Because you lead 24-7. Well, that just sounds kind of boring. Okay. Okay. She's asking what my standard is. Enjoy. Have a great meal. Enjoy the, the beverage that you would like to drink. But man, remember that moderation thing. And question is, can you lead right now? Tonight, 9.30 p.m. Can you lead then too? Can you bring the hope of who Jesus is? I love this scripture that we just read. Romans 14, 21. It says, when you sit down to a meal... Your primary concern should not be to feed your own face. Saying your primary concern should not be your own convictions and your own desire. Now he's not just talking to pastors. He's talking to Christ's followers. He says it shouldn't be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to the needs of others who are eating. Don't eat or say or do things. That might interfere with the exchange of love. So whether you're given to abstinence or you're given to moderation. Like the scripture says, do everything 
as to the glory of the Lord. Our objective in this sermon is not that anyone would feel condemnation, but merely to feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, am I living with the convictions that you have for my life? Because God, I don't want to be given to or driven by anything of this world, but I want to be led by your Spirit. Can I get an amen? Can I get a real amen? Amen. Hey, can I uh, just talk to those of you who might be here for the first time? (laughs) Maybe you've been here for a while, and you're not really sure where you stand when it comes to faith and this whole Jesus thing. But maybe at the same time, there's something, a tug in your heart, and you go, man, I just know there's more out there for me, but I, I feel this gap, this separation between me and this God that you're talking about. You know what that, the Bible says that that gap is real. It's called a sin gap. And everyone in this room has sin in their life. And the payment and the consequence of sin is grave, a very harsh reality. Death and an eternity in hell. But the Bible offers an amazing, what I call a radical solution. The gift of God, Jesus He lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross paying the ransom or the penalty or the punishment for your sin and mine. What an amazing story. We don't have to get perfect to receive that gift. We don't have to have an amazing heritage or past. You can't work yourself into it. Church attendance doesn't get this for you. It is so simple. It's crazy. All you have to do is say, Jesus I give you my life, and he gives you the strength to walk out the rest. If you're here and you've never made a decision like that, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And right where you're seated, we're not going to embarrass you. In your own heart, I want to challenge you to repeat that prayer after me and mean it from the bottom of your heart. And for those of you that are here today and you've been running from God's purpose and plan, maybe you've turned your back on what God wants to do in your life. When I pray that prayer, today is your day too. Right in your own heart, I want you to repeat this after me and mean it from the depths of who you are. And today, we'll start over brand new and let God be in charge of the direction that we're going. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. In a moment, I'm going to pray this prayer and everyone in the room is going to repeat after me. Everyone's going to say it loud so no one will know specifically who's praying it from the depths of their heart. But if you're here and you've never made this decision or it's time to come back to what God is doing, I just want you to pray it from the bottom of who you are, from the bottom of your heart. Everyone just repeat this after me to say, dear God, come on, dear God, I know you're real. I know you love me. I know you've given me purpose. I feel a separation, God. I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus. To pay the ransom for my sin. Everyone in this room, just repeat this phrase. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at theocmovement.com. Or, we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Till next time, Orange County.